Hi, I'm Betty Long, and welcome to the Lighting Your Way podcast. During season two, we are delving in deeper to the amazing lives and stories of nurses and other healthcare professionals from around the country. We will also be talking with a few of my nurse advocate colleagues at Guardian Nurses, and on occasion, even some real live patients. You'll get a behind the scenes peek at the healthcare system, as well as get advice on how to get the best care when you or a loved one is a patient. Hi, I thought that as we approach the Christian holiday of Christmas, which celebrates the birth of Jesus, that it might be fun to talk with a nurse who works in a very busy labor and delivery unit in Philadelphia. Joining us on this episode is Alicia Valentine, RN, MSN, RNC-OB, which means she has a certification as an obstetrics nurse. Alicia has been a staff nurse for more than 38 years, 27 of which have been dedicated to supporting moms and safely bringing babies into the world on the labor and delivery unit. She is a certified childbirth educator, certified interpreter for Spanish-speaking patients, and an adjunct clinical OB instructor for both LaSalle University and Gwinnett University. I hope you enjoyed listening to Alicia as much as I enjoyed talking with her. I am so happy to have you as a guest, Alicia. Um, you and I met this past fall when you were nominated uh, as a finalist in the clinical nursing category for the Nightingale Awards of Pennsylvania. Uh, and in my role as a board member on that organization, I was charged with writing and recording your profile for the awards gala. Uh, and while I typically get every finalist resume and written statement, I always like to call a nurse so that I can get to know them outside of their resume. And honestly, when you and I connected on the phone, it felt like I was talking uh, to an old friend. And um, we grew up around the same time in the same neighborhood, and we almost worked together at the hospital that you're uh, at now. So um, I just, I so enjoyed you know, our conversation, I wanted to do it again. So I asked you to be on the podcast. On the podcast. So welcome, Alicia Valentine. Thank you, Betty. Thank you for um, inviting me to be on your podcast. And I just want to say that it was an honor to be a Nightingale finalist. Um, I'm so very honored. And that is going to be a highlight of my life. One of my highlights of my life being That's a, wonderful. Not, a, a finalist. That's great. Great. And, I, I'm I'm so sorry it wasn't. It was a virtual gala this year. I'm so sorry I didn't get to, uh, you know, have you come to the to the soiree, you know, next year maybe. <laughs> maybe next year, but we do as healthcare. Um, we we need to be vigilant and and also let people know this is the right thing. This was the right thing to do. Right. With COVID. Right. So, no, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I missed was, it, but I'm, you know, I understand. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it'll be, um, it, it was a really hard decision to make, but I think we made the right decision. But, you know, yeah. hopefully in 2022, we can have the in-person gala and you can come then and, and bring your fans. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So let me get, <laughs> let me start uh, at, to ask you to tell your story uh, about how you became a nurse. I remember when we talked uh, in the fall that, you know, your mom had a big role to play in that decision. So tell us about how you got started. Well, um, when I graduated from high school, which I went to an all-girls school called Little Flower, um, my mother, she encouraged me to be a nurse. And I was still not quite 
convinced that I should go that route. So what I did, I went to Temple University for two years and I felt lost. And I was <laughs> like, I should have listened to my mom. <laughs> and so of course you didn't tell years, her that then. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, well, I think I did. And then she was me, I told you. <laughs> and um, I applied actually to Einstein School of Nursing, which they had a school of nursing in 1981. And I graduated there with a diploma in nursing. Um, and through the years, I always, I always wanted to teach. I, I always felt like, uh, you know, there were nurses that came under me. Um, I always wanted to take them under my wing and I would teach them what I knew. But uh, with raising a family, getting married, you know, and having two children, and then I worked nights, it was difficult for me to, I mean, I, it was in my thoughts. I want okay. to go back to school, but it was difficult to get there. Sure. And yeah. um, the institution that I worked at at that moment, um, they said to me, you know, my nurse manager would say, yeah, we want you to go to school, but you have to work these hours. There's no, like, you have to manage school around your work hours. And I was like, I, it's going to be impossible to do. Mm. Um, but, well, God, you know, God has a way. And um, they closed that hospital after I worked there 20 years. Wow. Um, and so I started looking for where to go. And I'm, I got hired by my present institution. And because um, I was very lucky because the doctors that were at my former institution got hired at my present institution. Oh. And they said, yeah, and they said to the administrators there, you need to have some day positions for our nurses that are coming from over from, oh, you know, okay. the, the previous institution. So I was very fortunate to be offered a day position right away starting. And I took it. Oh, even that's though, great. Yeah. yeah, I was getting paid actually less than what I got paid at my former institution, but I didn't even care. I was like, nope, I'm taking this day position. And I'm right, gonna right, start, right. You got you know, days. <laughs> and I got days. And I have to say that the present institution that I work at, they encouraged, they kept saying, you know, you go back to school, we have tuition reimbursements, and this and that. And um, the nurse manager that I had at that time worked with the nurses. If there was a class that um, I had to take on a Saturday, um, and she said to me, every Saturday, and I said, I, we had to work every third week. And she's like, if you find somebody to work for you, it's not an oh, issue. If you can't find great. somebody, well, I'll work with you. And she that's did. Great. And, that, and that's how I was able to get my BSN first. Oh, and that's from great. From Ohio University online. My um, a, a co-worker said, come on, let's do it together. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and in 2014, I got my BSN after I graduated from nursing school in 1983. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> matter. Think of that's great. Matter. That is great. No. Wow. So, and um, I said, life, you know, and God has a road for me. And um, 
Later in the years, um, my husband became very sick and ill. And um, when in 2014, I graduated my BS, with my BSN, he was one of the first people that said to me, you need to keep going and get your master's degree. And oh, brother. Like, oh. Yeah, Jeez. and I was like, no, I just got done this. Let me just kind of savor it for a moment. Yeah, you know? yeah. But I think it was, you know, it was God's plan because I don't think I could have done it because then he started to get sick and sicker and sicker. And um, in 2016, December of 2016, he passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. And my my co-worker that encouraged me to get my BSN three months later after my husband passed, I went back to work and she's like, come on, let's go into this master's program. And I was like, no, I just, I, my, I, I, I can't even think about anything. Like my husband of 35 years just passed. I, I, I'm distraught. She's like, you can do this. Just call this guy. Oh. He's a, a, a recruiter at the university. Well, needless to say, by the time I was done our conversation, I was enrolled. Oh, yikes. In that was quick. Yes, in a master's program. <laughs> you didn't even know what hit you, right? Jeez. I didn't even know. But, I, but that was God's plan because I was so busy writing papers and studying that wow. I, I had no time to really be sad wow. or, or depressed. And... Um, and in 2018, I graduated with a master's degree in nursing education from Grand Canyon University. That's great. So, that, so, that so you, you've come world. full circle, kind of, right? You you wanted to go <laughs> yeah. into education back uh, back yeah. when 19. Wow. So so <laughs> you're a RNBSN MSN, yeah. MSN, yeah. Yep. And and so so all these years of nursing, how did you find yourself in the labor and delivery unit? Uh, does it have anything to do well, with the education that you do you do for moms or no, I kind of kind of fell into it because what happened is with um the schedule that I had with my children and school, I went per diem. I, I did med search and telemetry for thirteen years. And then okay. It wasn't working that rigid schedule every other weekend and, and certain days with the children, it wasn't working out. So I went per diem in the hospital so I could make my own schedule. Okay. And what occurred was they were very short in the postpartum unit. So they would send me there. I, I couldn't do, I could not work in the labor and delivery unit because of the, I, I, I had no training in that expertise, but I could, you know, they taught me how to do fundal checks and, you know, reacquainted me because we all learned that in nursing school. But, you you, you know, they reacquainted sure. me with that and what sure. is normal bleeding and what wasn't. And so they would pull me there. And then the nurses there were like, you need to come and work full time here. And I was like, no, it's too scary. here. You got two <laughs> patients with each yes. patient, yes. you know, but. And they're screaming at you, you know. And Yeah. <laughs> And, but I needed a full-time position again. You know, I needed vacation and sick. So I kind of like with my heel, dragging my heels on the ground, I went. Okay. And, um, and it was the best thing I ever did because now I am, uh, I have uh, 
I am certified in childbirth education. I have my NCC certification in um, inpatient obstetrics. Um, I teach for two universities as a adjunct faculty in OB, wow. and I, I love OB. So oh. I now I've been now twenty about twenty seven years. That is so, so 27 years of delivering or helping deliver babies. Uh, Do you keep count uh, on how many babies you've helped bring into the world? (laughs) No, I I, I should have, but no, I don't. (laughs) Many, 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 many. (laughs) Yeah. Whenever, whenever you go in, I always, when you go into the OB unit and there's always all the photos on the wall, you know, I think, I think there's probably thousands more, but I guess they're the ones that send you photos. Yes. Um, Our unit says they deliver about 250 babies a month. Oh, my God. And, and we have eight rooms. Wow. So that is jumping, yeah. right? Because yeah. it's not like you just come in and deliver a baby and leave, right? You're there sometimes laboring for hours, days, maybe. Um, yes. Now, a uh, number of years ago, I will say about six, seven years ago, it could be up to five days. And now... I guess evidence-based practice has shown that that's not good. So now it's three days. So uh, a patient could be there up to three days trying to have a baby. Uh, so I always tell them, you're going to have a baby one way or another by day number three. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to make sure of it. <laughs> Somehow, some way, we're going to help you try. <laughs> and and uh, like for a normal vaginal delivery, so if they're, say they're laboring three days and it's a normal vaginal delivery, how long do the women get to stay in the hospital to recover? Okay, so generally prior prior to COVID, everyone uh, stayed okay. 48 hours, so two days. Two, 48 COVID, hours from the time they gave birth? They gave birth, yes. Okay, yep. Now, after COVID, when COVID occurred, then what they did so that they didn't spend so much time in the hospital and wanted to go home because what happened is when you have a baby, you want your whole family to come and breathe, right. see the baby. And when COVID occurred, no visitors. Right. No none. Visitors. Wait, none at all? None. Not none. even the father? No in, in the beginning, when it started to happen, we didn't know about things. Wow. And so not even a father. Wow. Then slowly, father was allowed. Okay. And right at present, only one person can come. Only one person. It's up to them who they choose. Sometimes they choose the father. Sometimes they choose their mother, the sister. Whoever okay. they think is going to be more of a support to them, right. they choose. And they cannot switch up. Uh, if that person, for some reason, has to leave, then they will have no one. And we t- we make it very clear we cannot no. switch. Yeah. So if my... so, if I come in, mm-hmm. so I'm coming in to support a woman who's pregnant. Do I have to stay those that entire time? I can't leave the unit. You can no. You can go home, oh. eat all that stuff, and come back, but only that only one me. Person. Okay, got mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Only wow. that person now. After the baby is born in postpartum, if the patient, in in my institution, the rule is if the patient um, has a COVID test when they're admitted, and if it is negative, 
then after she is after she has the baby and is postpartum, she can have two visitors from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. The you know whatever the father and someone else, but only two people in the room at the same time from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And that's postpartum. That's postpartum, and the patient has the choice of staying 24 hours or 48 hours. Some of them say, you know what, I really think I need a second day. I just had my baby vaginal. I'm, I'm really sore. I'm ba- I want to stay an extra day. They can stay an extra day. Okay. But that's what happened when COVID came. Then it wasn't you have to stay for two days. It was like you have to stay for 24 hours. You can choose to stay the second day, but you don't have to if everything's oh. okay with you and with the baby. Right. Um, have you seen? Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say C-sections. It was the same thing before COVID. They stayed three days. Okay. When COVID occurred, two days. If they think they need the third day, they can. They're more than welcome to stay. Okay. Yeah, I I can't even imagine. You know the 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 COVID. Do you have you seen women who had COVID give birth? Like I mean, yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. Wow. And what we do is we tell them they have to wear a mask. Um, wash. You know, we we we're very specific with them. We tell them you must wear a mask every time you're around your baby. Wash your hands before you hold the baby. Right. Um. Uh, if you're going to be without a mask, your baby has to be six feet from you. Wow. Okay. If you're not wearing your mask. But if you're going to breastfeed, hold your baby, you have to wear a mask if you're COVID positive. Yeah. I mean, you can't risk giving it to the, I mean, an infant. But this is better than, I still remember Betty, and it broke my heart when we didn't know what COVID did or was. We were still learning. Yeah. And we had positive COVID moms. And as soon as they delivered, we took their babies from them. Uh And they went to a room, you know, and then the baby went to the nursery and we would send the baby with family and they had to be apart those two weeks before they, she could, you know, when she was no longer um, infectious, then she could, you know, be reunited with her baby, but she didn't even get to see her. <laughs> like, like wow. she came out, she saw for a second and the baby was taken out. So oh, wow. thank God that they know more about COVID now. So we don't have yeah, to really. do something horrible like that. Yeah, that would be heartbreaking to do that, mm-hmm. to have to do it that. Was. But, you know, you think you're doing the right thing because we didn't know Same. at that time. We didn't know about COVID. Right. We didn't know much about it at all. Yeah. Um, so so in these in the in the, all the time that you've had. Right. I mean, you know, that's a long time mm-hmm. to be delivering babies. Like when you think back, you know, the labor and delivery unit changed, like how, you know, Talk about some of the things that have changed besides the the length of stay. Because I I've talked to some of my colleagues who had C sections back in the you know late eighties, and it was mm-hmm. uh, oh I had five days in, and you know then I had four days, and then eleven years later when she had her fourth kid, uh, it was three, three days, days, right? Three so, days, right? <laughs> right. So things are moving and grooving, but like what what when you think back on on your career in the labor and delivery you know, unit, what, what do you think about? I, I, you know, since I teach, you know, and I t- tell my patient, my my students, you know, one of the things that I remember is when I started 27 years ago in OB in labor and delivery. 
I would say 99% of the women would get a, a an episiotomy. That's oh. something that has really changed. And, oh. you know, now in the past years, you know, we don't do episiotomies because evidence-based practice showed that that wasn't good for the moms. And so... It, it, for I, what I reason? It, and, and can you explain for our listeners who may not know what an episiotomy yeah. is? So an episiotomy is when the baby's head is crowning in the perineum, the physician would take a um, a suture scissor or a bandage scissor and he would cut her perineum either straight down or to the side and that would facilitate the baby's head coming out faster. Mm. Sounds and very so painful. Would, yes, and they would, you know, repair that but studies show, they did a study, I, I can't quote you what, you know, I should have it, but I, I can't quote you, but they um, did a study and then they, they had women where they did an episiotomy and then they had another set of women where they just let the baby tear them, lacerate them, and then repair them. And what they found was that the women that were, that just tore and lacerated as the baby was coming out and that they repaired them, that they actually healed, their perineums healed better than those that were, that had an episiotomy. Wow. And so now I, I think in one hand, I can count how many women had an episiotomy just this past year. Oh, when wow. before 99% of the women had an episiotomy. Wow. So, uh, so Alicia, who's doing the, who's doing these studies? Are they labor and delivery nurses? Is it OBGYNs? Like, you know, cause that was, sounds like um, a. I think it was ACOG, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. The, okay. You know, but uh, um, they're the ones I think that did this study. I, I, I should have it because I quoted from my students and I, I don't, but it just shows like, I'm telling you every woman, that was going to have a baby, they would have the bandages wow. there ready to just cut the perineum yeah. and, and you know, have the baby's head, you know, come out more easier. But yeah, that I, wasn't good for the women, you know? Well, and it, so, I, well, I'll tell you, it wasn't good for the ones watching because I was in nursing school when that happened, uh, when my rotation, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, you know, as a young nursing student, um, that mm-hmm. was shocking. Um, all right, so let's talk about so so episiotomy. That's a good point. What, let's talk about um, pitocin. Mm-hmm. All right, so for our listeners who are not nurses, uh, pitocin is a natural hormone that mm-hmm. causes a pregnant woman's uterus to contract. Right, so mm-hmm. it's used to induce uh, and strengthen labor contractions during childbirth and control bleeding. But um, according to a lot of moms, and many of whom I work with, um, the use of Pitocin can make labor feel so much more painful and intense. So yeah. has the use of Pitocin changed in, in your career? No. Oh. Doctors <laughs> like, unfortunately, doctors like to use Pitocin. It is the drug of choice. Um, but as I said, we have to see if the cervix is first um, soft and and pliable because if it's hard and thick, you could get Pitocin and we'll be there three days and not have a baby. Okay. So that's where this 
you know, like they like to use this thing called the Foley bulb. Okay. Um, when they're inducing moms. And what a Foley bulb is, is a catheter that is inserted into the opening of the cervix. And on the tip of this catheter, it has like a little balloon. And okay. they inflate the balloon with sterile water. And what this does is it stimulates the hormones in the cervix to soften them. Usually when this balloon comes out, when it falls out, like you tug it and it just gives and falls out. Okay. Then the mom is four to five centimeters. And then, you know, oh. we sometimes we start the Pitocin with the Foley bulb and sometimes we don't. So, um, oh. but they love Pitocin because it lets us control the interval of contractions and it strengthens the contraction uh, force of the uterus. And Do as they... you said, it also controls bleeding postpartum. Okay. when the mom delivers. Do they, I mean, g- given the, some of the um, comments that my colleagues and friends have made, uh, mm-hmm. t- the Pitocin uh, sounds like barbaric, but uh, do they give uh, medication, narcotics, or any kind of a pain relief when they're giving yes. the Pitocin? Okay. Yes. I always, um, and, and the doctors, I know at my institution, the physician says, you're in charge if you want an epidural. You don't have to have an epidural, but if you want one, you could be one centimeter and say, I can't take this pain. You get an epidural. Okay. That's what you want. Okay. There are medications that we can give intravenously, but most of them cross the placenta barrier. Uh-huh. So that means okay. mom gets it, the baby gets it. Okay. Now, in the beginning, if you're two or three centimeters, you're not going to have a baby for a few hours. So And I always tell moms, we never would give you anything that wasn't safe for you or your baby. This medication is going to wear off (laughs) way before the baby's even close to being born, but it'll get them comfortable for a little bit. And then maybe later they want an epidural if, if they want it. Now, I've had many patients that have gone through labor naturally, and we're there to support them in whatever they want a hot pack, they want a cold pack, they want pillows, whatever, <laughs> you know, uh, we have birthing pillow, uh, birthing balls at, at my institution. Okay. Um, so all, all these things to help them, you know, if they want to try and have, you know, a natural delivery. Okay. Uh, what about, um, I know it's common now, at least, um, you know, thanks to call the midwife, but, we, you know, midwives have been around for thousands of years and, and, and doulas. So they're very actively involved in a mom's pregnancy and delivery. D- does your hospital have midwives delivering babies or, you know, do you interact yeah. with doulas? Okay. Yes. Great. Um, we actually, I mean, had a midwife uh, maybe about a year ago. And now again, we, we are have, we have two of them that just actually started last month. Okay. So we and, do have midwives that deliver their babies and we do have doulas. We let we allow doulas to come, you okay. know, with the patients. So there's a program um, that through centering. There's a centering program at my institution. It's called, uh-huh. and there's doulas. They have a number that they can call. Have a doula come, and um, I think through something like that is good to get a, a doula yeah. because they do support you. 
Um, and some of them are good and some of them are not good, but, you know, they, they do help and support the patient okay. and, the, the, and their support person, too. Well, um, it, listen, the more support you have, the better. It really, exactly. it doesn't matter whether you're exactly. having a baby or having heart surgery. The more support mm-hmm. is better. Um, better. All right. So I have another question about C-section. So I've read that, and I hope, I don't know if this is still accurate, but 30% of births are done by C-section. So it's a pretty common procedure, but it is, as we know, major abdominal surgery. So mm-hmm. um you know, what do you see now in terms of, like you said, three days that the the moms are there? Uh, has have C sections gone down at your at your place? Are they going up? Or are they still pretty much thirty percent? Um, a year ago, like I said, we had we had the midwives, and they introduced what's called mo- labor in motion. Um, <laughs> so we were doing the birthing balls. Okay, and there's these balls that, that are called peanut balls and they actually look like peanuts okay huge peanuts and so when we have you on your side um we have the peanut in between your legs and that keeps the pelvis open so the baby can you know can um keep coming down uh-huh. um and so we're constantly moving you around and it actually they did a study at my institution and we were um in an article for the city of philadelphia where our C-section rates had come down a little bit oh. because of this, you know, labor in motion. Oh, so, okay. You know, so I think we started to go back up a little bit. So now we're getting the midwives. I mean, we all do these, you know, birthing balls and peanut balls and moving and turn, you know, constantly moving the patient whichever way. So, but, you know, if there's the baby's, in this, in any kind of distress, if the mother is in any kind of um, distress, also, then a C-section is what's going to happen. So okay. I think, you know, that that's still going to happen. But for us, we were we were even written up in the city of Philadelphia that our our C-section rate came down a teeny little bit. Great. Great. Yeah, because I mean, it's yeah. it's a significant surgery. I mean, it, it's you know, yeah. it's major abdominal surgery. Um, major. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Uh, let me switch over to your to your um, uh, in your spare time. You're uh, a clinical OB instructor. Um, and yes. a few weeks ago, we had Dr. Jennifer Fry on as a guest, and she is the founding director of the nursing program at Cabrini University in Radnor. And I asked her about the curriculum that nursing students uh, deal with these days. And I remember when probably you and I were around the same time, had my maternal uh-huh. child health experience in nursing school, uh, it was clear that I would not last long in the labor and delivery unit. But in your experience now seeing students come in, like, what are you seeing from the nursing students who, who now I understand COVID kept them out, but yeah. l- let's talk about, you know, four years ago before COVID. Are, are the students, um, you know, are they ready? Are they, are they, do you feel like they're getting the training they need? I think they are, like, in their syllabus, you know, I try, I always, when I have students from whichever, I look at their syllabus and I try to, um coordinate certain uh, post-conference subjects that I go over with them with their syllabus so that if they're studying preeclampsia, okay, I'm going to have an article about that so that it better connects, you know, 
with them what they're learning in class, I'm reinforcing it in some way okay. and teaching them. And in clinical, I might have them have a patient that is preeclampsic, postpartum or whatever, so that they see okay. what they're learning in class at the bedside. You know, reflexes being done, Q1 hour outputs, um, high alert medications being co-signed by two RNs. Okay. Um, I tell them, you know, so that they see those kind of things. Um, with labor, you know, I try to, you know, tell them the stages of labor and look, this is what's going on, you know. Um, and there's times that I've been with them and we had a shoulder dystocia and they were like, I said, you learned this in class. Now it, they were like, oh, I thought they were going to pass out. <laughs> And and it was and, such and, an obstetrical emergency, and they could see it, and they were like right. almost in tears, right. you know. But they are learning these things. But um, I had a class where I did um, Zoom classes, and I okay. felt so bad because to talk about how to feel a fundus and to actually feel a fundus is two different Correct. things. Right. And so, you know, with my students, you know, as soon as someone delivers, I'm like, look, feel this. This is what a fundus feels like. And it's like the, their little light bulbs go off, you know, right. they're like, wow, you know. And um, and I also, in in my institution, you know, when, when they come to my institution, I have them go, of course, to postpartum and see baby assessments and what is entailed in teaching, post-discharge okay. teaching, because they have to do shaken baby syndrome. They have to, right. um, you know, car seat. They have to do hearing tests. There are so many things there. I also right. have the students go to NICU because okay. I want them to see what a preterm maybe baby looks like yeah. and the hurdles that that baby has to, you know, has to um still encounter before it can go home yeah um and even a full-term baby you know we had a uh, i remember my students uh went to NICU and one of the times it was meconium aspiration and the baby was in NICU oh. and you know they were like oh my god this is really serious and i said it is very serious so yeah. that they can connect they they're able to connect what they what they're learning in class with my clinical. And yeah, I try and, to do that. Or, well, and I, uh, but I think for you, like what you just said, like the, for the folks who were not able to do that or feel that fundus or, you know, exactly. that's, that's a huge loss. And, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to see that in the next couple of years as nurses yes. graduate and come into the practice. I think, you know, there's nothing yeah. like, like what you're doing is associating the learning text with the actual practical experience, right? You know, when I, exactly. like you, we went to nursing school the first semester, we were in a patient's room. You know, we may yeah. not have been doing much, but we were at least in the room. We were in there, yes. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> we were. <laughs> right, scared to and, death, looking like a rookie, but we were there. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. So, so several years ago, I, I know there was a big deal about a lot of Philadelphia hospitals closing uh, their OB units because they weren't profitable. Um, sounds like with 250 births a month that uh, you're doing okay. But, but did that, did the closing of those hospitals impact the volume at your hospital? 
Uh, yes, I understood, like, for example, when my, my previous institution closed, all those patients had oh, nowhere right. to go. They went to my institution and okay. I wasn't there for this, but I, they have stories where they said to me, we had stretchers in the hallway. We mm. did had no, we didn't have the room to put all these people because now they couldn't go right. to your institution because they were closed. Right. And okay. you know, when you see it right here in Philadelphia, which is a very large city, I think I counted only seven institutions that have a delivery, wow. uh, a labor and delivery. Unit wow. In the wow. In the whole city? That's crazy. Most uh, of them are downtown. Wow. Most of them are all down center city. And then you come and there's Temple and then Einstein and that's it. Like, yeah. You talk of any other hospital beyond that's a little further out from Philly. Right, right. Yeah, and there's always going to be babies being born. There's always going to be babies being born. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so sure. let me. So let me. Right. Well, all right, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, let me ask you about safe havens. So my understanding um, is that all fifty states have safe haven laws, which allow persons to surrender an infant in a safe location without having to disclose their identity or without being asked any questions. So at your okay. hospital, how often does this happen? Ballpark. That I know of, not that often. Um, okay. I think about four years ago was maybe the last one that I had heard of okay. where the mom came, delivered the baby. Okay. And she did good by just saying, I'll be back tomorrow for the baby and never came back. Uh, but that's better than leaving a baby in the street or in an unsafe situation. Right. So, right. you know, I'm, I'm good. I think safe haven is a good thing because if you really feel that you can't take care of this baby, then don't put it in, in a harm's way. You know, take it to the ER. You can't leave the baby in a parking lot. That's dangerous. They have to put it in the emergency room. Because I remember a few years ago in the news, somebody left the baby in the parking lot. No, see, that person can get prosecuted because that's not a safe place. If she had just gone through the ER door, put the baby down, and left, that would have been perfect. Wow. God, that's got to be heartbreaking to see that. But, yes. Um, but I okay. think, you know, this person, I think, did the right thing. Yeah. She knew she, you know, she just said, I'll be back and never came back. Yeah. But the baby was safe and yeah. very well cared for. Right. And, you know, no judgment, no questions. And, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the the, um, the COVID, the, the birth rate. So one would assume that there was a lot of people staying home over through COVID, yeah. through the uh, uh, quarantine. And you said there was a study that the birth rate has not gone up, which I thought was right. interesting. Yeah, I had read it. I read an article and it said that the birth rate was a little bit down. <laughs> people, you know, and I was like, not not at my institution. Right. I don't think so. We well, I think, very, listen, very I, I think, I think after, uh, you know, everybody was spending so much time with each other, there wasn't a whole lot of intimacy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people were trying to. Lot to do. <laughs> right, right. No, no, I'm not interested. Right. Um, so I have some fun questions for you. But before we get to those, um, so what advice, right, after 27 years, uh, what advice 
would you give a first-time pregnant mom about choosing a physician or midwife to deliver her baby? Okay. Um, I would say, number one, you have to have, you know, there has to be a connection between you and your provider. Someone that you feel easy, you know, that you can easily talk to them and ask them any question and that they answer your questions to your satisfaction. Okay. Um, I think that they should be um, accessible to you, return your calls, um, but someone that you feel comfortable and that you feel this person has answered all my questions to my satisfaction. Okay. I think that Good. would be, then you know that you and your provider connect and that they're the right match for you. Right. Particularly if you're first time and you're probably going to have a lot and of I, questions, right? I was just going to say that in particular when it's your first baby, because you know nothing. I mean, I was an RN and had my first baby and I can tell you right now, I knew nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. I knew nothing. <laughs> right. It's a whole lot different when it's you. Right. When you're going through it and when it's you. Exactly. So So, um, I had a wonderful, you know, provider. So I think that is the main thing that someone that you feel answers all your questions to your, you know, satisfaction and is easily accessible to you. Great. Great answer. Um, So listen, so let me inject a little. So besides your son, Juan, who uh, and who's a nurse uh, uh, and your daughter, Christina, uh, and your three grandsons, Antonio, Felix and Manny, are there any deliveries uh, that you hold dear to your heart? That I hold dear to my heart. Um, For some reason, I remember this one delivery that, um, and, and I'll tell you why, because it was just God that kept, that somehow in life we kept bumping into each other, bumping into each other. And um, see, I'm fluent in Spanish. Okay. And so this um, patient came to deliver at the institution that I worked at before, and she didn't speak any English. And so I was like able to communicate with her and, you know, appease her anxiety because she was having a baby after something like 10 years, you know, again. And for whatever reason, our paths would cross so many times beyond beyond the years. I would keep bumping into her and her husband, you know, like, (laughs) um, for example, like I went, would go to the market and I would be like, hey, you know, like you guys are here. Oh my God. And the baby was, you know, so-and-so old. And then like one time at Lowe's, I'm there shopping, and there they are with her. She's four <laughs> years old. Oh, my God, look at her. And they're uh, telling her, this is the nurse that helped deliver uh, you. That's you, great. You. And then one day I was in City Hall doing um, jury duty, and they were there getting married. And I was like, okay, God. <laughs> wow. I guess we're supposed to keep bumping into each other. Wow. In life, you know, and I haven't bumped into them again, but uh, it was really crazy because – I kept bumping into them, and they would always say, "This is the nurse that helps bring you to the world." Oh, you know, that's great! So oh, that's great! Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool! Very good, very good. I'm glad you had that experience. That's great. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Now, uh, two more fun questions. So, um, since we're close to the Christmas holiday, and December 25th is considered by Christians to be the day that Jesus was born, what's it like? Being in the delivery room on Christmas Day, does it does it have like a different feel, or is it just like any other day? I think it it always has a different feel, and we try to 
you know, oh, this is a, you know, Christmas baby, you know, okay. and, and, and at the same time, because you have to respect patients, um, religious, you know, denominations, and some people are not Christians and right. would not, you know, take to that. So you have to, it, 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 you have to be careful. Okay. <laughs> and, okay. And you know what I mean? Because some people are not Christian, so you know. But right. I think it is a special day. We, we the nurses, feel like, oh, this baby's a Christmas baby. Right. Sometimes right. we, um, some of the nurses will sometimes make little, you know, T-shirts like Santa or little Santa hats, and we put them <laughs> on the baby. Yeah, after their special day. Yeah, so, and I, th- I guess uh, is New Year's too. New Year's Day, like twelve or one. Is that? Too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Are there any that other? There are any other fun days uh, in the delivery room? Like what you know, any dates? That, I guess maybe Halloween. That would be a that'd be a Halloween, good end. Yeah. <laughs> or um, think, sometimes St. Patty's Day for some reason. I guess you know, like I remember we had like green little things for the babies. You know. Okay. Okay. So, so that way, but Christmas and New Year's, in particular, New Year's, are the very special ones that we're yeah. you know we're always. Oh, who was the first baby? You know, right, right, you know, right. And yeah, I imagine. Baby, you know, so. yeah. but you're right. I mean, it, you know, for Christians or Muslims or you know, with Jews, it's yeah, not. Yeah, you have to you know, be not fun for, Right, yeah, you gotta be. It's okay. You gotta meet people where they're at. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So, so last question. So, after 38 years as a nurse, uh, I I do hope that you're looking forward to retirement. I suspect yeah. you will not miss screaming moms in labor, but will what will you miss uh, about being a labor and delivery nurse? I think mainly being a support and an advocate for my patients. Okay. Um, because, because I speak Spanish, because I am of Latin heritage and or you know, um, and I'm very I'm fluent in Spanish, I have helped we have a very large um, clientele from other countries that I don't know how, and I give it to them. They come here looking for a better life for them, for their families, and don't speak one word of English. And when I see them and I start to talk to them in English and they look puzzled, and then I start to speak in Spanish and say to them, do you, you speak Spanish and then they light up like, oh my God, yes, you're my savior, you know? And um, that is one thing that, um, that I'm going to really miss because I'm going to be like, who's going to be that advocate for them? You know, because there aren't that many nurses at my institution that in my unit that are fluent in Spanish. Okay. And, um, but I, you know, that's one thing that I think I, I will miss. That's Great. yeah, and I, listen, I'm sure they're going to miss you as well. Um, sounds mm-hmm. like they, yeah. um, because I know that there at any hospital there are translators, but you know it's not mm-hmm. as it's not as fluent as having somebody right there by your side who can speak the language. Mm-hmm. Wow. Right, and so because at my institution and every institution, um, they have certified translators. I was unable to translate, even though I was fluent, until I became certified. So I took and searched it out for myself. How can I become certified? Huh. Translator by this institution. And so they were like, go to the chaplain office. I went to the chaplain office, and they gave me these courses that I had to take. Then I had to take a test. 
And then, you know, I would, you know, I passed the test. So now I'm certified, but wow. I had to do that because they were like, you cannot translate like for a stat C section. I mean, you know, in the middle of the stat C section, I'm looking for a phone to find a translator or the tablet, you know, like when I'm yeah. standing there and knows what I'm saying and they know that I know what I'm saying. But right. I had to do that extra step and get myself certified so that I could do this and help. Good them. for you, Alicia. Now, listen, mm-hmm. this is this is part of why just part of why you were a finalist. Really, you oh, you are really uh, I. I I just love, after all these years, you have so much passion and it's clear that you are dedicated to your patients. Um, so I, I just, I want to thank you, uh, not only for your commitment to your patients, um, but just to nursing, right? To t- to training nurses, right? To being a nurse, to, you know, making another nurse, your son, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> you know, making sure, making sure that the line continues in your family. Um, and you, uh, you know, you. You have had a very successful career, and I am sure that your mom is very proud of you looking down on you, yeah, as is your husband you. and father. So, That's and the only c- thing I wish, I wish they had known to what degree I got to. You know, they know that I got to a BSM, but I wish they could see me, you know, now with my master's degree. And, and, and um, I try to give my students everything. I try to instill the love of nursing that I have. Into them. Well, it would um, you would have to it would be hard pressed not to feel it from you if I was your student, (laughs) really. And I am sure (laughs) that your parents and your husband know that you have a master's degree, Mm -hmm. and that you were a Nightingale finalist. (laughs) Yeah, that in particular, yes. (laughs) Yeah. So thank Thank you very much for for joining me and and for sharing your stories and and your wisdom. Um, I really appreciate your time. No, thank you. I'm very honored uh, that you asked me to come on your podcast. Yeah, that was great. I've enjoyed this. Uh, our conversation is, it is like we're old friends. Yeah, so it's great. Thank you. Okay. Take care and uh, Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas to you, May. You have a blessed, happy, and healthy one. You too, kiddo. All right, take care. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week. We will be taking a short break for the holidays, but we'll be back in mid-January with new topics to explore, new stories to share, and new advice to help you get the best care for you and your loved ones. If you have any questions that you would like us to address in a future episode, please email us at podcast at guardiannurses.com. You can find the Lighting Your Way podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, YouTube, and guardiannurses.com. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend and leave us a review. You can learn all about Guardian Nurses Healthcare Advocates at our website, guardiannurses.com. Until next time, we wish you a peaceful, joyful holiday and a purposeful and healthy new year. Take good care.